Welcome to the Along the Gravel Road podcast, where we're changing the conversation around mental health. My guest today is Ebony Smith, and she just recently started um, getting help for her mental health issues, where she learned that some of her childhood trauma had really made an impact throughout her life on her anxiety and things. And so we're going to explore a little bit about that today and talk to her about how therapy and, and some other practices have really helped her moving forward. Hey, Ebony. Hey. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, we're going to jump right in here if yeah. you want to just share a little bit about your mental health journey. Ooh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it has been really interesting kind of going through my journey. A lot of it was um, knowing that I didn't have the best situation growing up. Sometimes my mom was single. I had some adopted things going on. And most of it, the way my coping mechanism was, was to just say, oh, it happened and now it's in the past. And so I went through a lot of my life knowing that these things happened, but assuming because like I was valedictorian and assuming because I had all A's and assuming that, well, you know, everything worked out. I was able to get into college and graduated and got a career that this particular thing did not impact me. And so what I didn't realize was that actually it had been impacting me all along in ways that I had just kind of tucked away. So I had a thing about movies. Like, oh, I don't, I don't want to watch any shows or movies that make me cry because I don't want to cry. Hate crying. So I watch a lot of comedies. And as I got, I would say, older and just more into my career, the imposter syndrome thing started popping it up way more. Even before I knew that it had a name, all I knew was that I'm afraid. Like, I was ambitious in a way of I want to do something. I want to do it. It's crazy, but I want to do it. And then as soon as I got there, I would immediately feel like, okay, I'm not, I can't do this. Like, I'm not able to do this. I'm not smart enough or I don't know enough. Or, you know, I would frequently say I majored in the wrong thing at LSU. If I had gone back to LSU and just, uh, if I had done three more minors, that would have, then I would have enough. And so I didn't realize it, but I was just on this journey of wanting to feel like, oh, if I do this thing, then I'll be enough. Or if I do that thing then I'll be able to fully believe in myself and know that I can do it. And so it wasn't until recently, like really into the pandemic, where I started to realize, wait, I have people who are telling me, you're really awesome at what you do. Thank you so much for doing what you do. I haven't seen people do this the way that you do it. You are very talented. And I just wouldn't internalize it. I would say, oh, you know, well, it was a team thing or it was somebody else. And I only came in at the end. Like I wouldn't, you know, take that. And it wasn't until I got a little bit, just the anxiety got worse and worse and worse around these things where I started considering medication. Um, cause there's a stigma on me- medication and I was kind of buying into that stigma family background. Yeah. And so I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. So eventually I started getting these better help ads over and over. And if you are on social media, you've probably seen them. And I kept saying, man, that's a cool way to get therapy. That seems a little less scary than sitting in a room with somebody and pouring your soul out. I had a lot of misguided stigmas on therapy. I think a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. And I did finally, after having just a rough night and just a lot going on, I said, you know what? Fine. I'll sign up. Signed up. Had a really good experience with a therapist. She wasn't the the best fit. She was really awesome. And she referred me to who I have now, who is an amazing fit. And all of these thoughts, I finally was like, there's a reason why I feel the way that I feel. 
It's not because I'm just like doubtful to be doubtful. This was something that was planted in me in my younger childhood that I wanted to ignore and say, oh, you know, having an abusive father, quote unquote, that didn't affect me. I don't care that he did those things and he's no longer living. So his impact can't, no, he's not here anymore. And the truth is he did. He said those things. He said just things you don't say to a child. And he tore me down at a young age and that seed was planted and it continued until now where I can say, this is not my voice. Mm. All along, I thought it was my voice. This is not my voice that's in my head seeing these things. This is what has been planted. So now I'm in a much better place. Uh, it takes some reprogramming. Yeah. And so that is the frustrating part is it's not fair that he was able to have that impact, but it happened. Mm-hmm. And so now I get the honored work of healing and releasing and uprooting what has been planted in me. So that's kind of the journey that I have right now. And it's been definitely helping. It has definitely made a difference because I can see who I am really starting to shine more. And the people who always saw it are just really happy because they're starting to see me see it. Yes. Yes. Wow. Wow. That And that story, I think, is for a lot of people, I think they assume that going to therapy is like when you you go when you're just sort of in a crisis mm-hmm. situation. You can't just can't handle something anymore. But you know, you talking about this, there's so much more that you can discover in therapy that you never you, you don't recognize as being impactful throughout yeah. your life until you're really able to sit and process it with another person. Yeah. And I mean, you you did it. You're doing all the work, you know, but it helps to have that other voice there to say to kind of walk you through it and say no, like this is valid and this did have an impact to just like uh, yeah. <laughs> to know, you know. And I laugh because my, my therapist, she's amazing. And we always laugh about these things because the majority of my first sessions was like the accepting that it even had an impact. Yeah. And because I would say, well, you know, I think that thing in my childhood, like if I was to go into detail about, I mean, domestic violence, having a gun pulled on my mom at a young age, having to like, snatch everything and leave so that we could be safe like there's so much in it that when I was recounting it to her all I can say was oh that's trauma isn't it mm-hmm. you know I had never called it that I had never right. accepted that I had had a traumatic upbringing I knew that things had happened mm-hmm. I knew that you know biologically my mother you know my biological mother had alcoholism my entire biological family had al- alcoholism and I had just said, oh, you know, I I don't drink. And so a lot of people, as they meet me, they're like, what, you don't drink? And I'm like, yes, I have my reasons. They assume it's religious. It's not really. It kind of is, but not really. It stems from seeing the impact. And there's just so many stories. As I was telling her, I'm like, oh, my God. (laughs) Because I would tell people, like, I would make that mistake sometimes. I would, if we were, like, having a sharing moment at work, I would share things, and they would be floored and almost to tears and I would have to I'm like oh my gosh I'm sorry I'm so used to just mm-hmm. saying it yeah. and I'm not feeling anything even though I probably should be feeling things I'm not feeling it and I'm just saying it and so with the therapist she was able to pause me mm-hmm. cuz you don't realize you're doing that when you're talking to your therapist it just starts pouring out of you and you're like oh you know blah 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 and I would gloss over those pieces and I would say but now this, 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 and this, and this, and this. And she would say, wait, let's go back. She would say, 
it sounds like you said get in trouble. You don't want to get in trouble. She's like, that's that's childhood language. That's language of when you were younger, you felt like you were always getting in trouble. And then not wanting people to be angry with me. I didn't realize, you know, I just thought maybe I'm a sensitive soul, that sort of thing. And she's like, yeah. no, 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 let's go back. Yep. And she would replay the things that I had just said to her, but she would unpack them. Mm-hmm. And so the majority of our sessions was me saying, no, but that didn't, no, that didn't impact me though. I'm okay. She's like, yeah, yeah you're, you're okay. Mm-hmm. But now you're carrying this fear of people being angry with you all the time because of the reaction that you had growing up. You were in a, she was like, it's very typical for a domestic violence, you know, person going through that. They don't like anger. They don't like people being angry with them because of the result. And so it wasn't until looking at it from that way where finally I got upset and I'm like, oh my gosh, he had an impact on me. I'm And I was upset. And she said, actually, that's normal that you're having this experience. This is the stages, yeah. the stages of accepting and healing is honestly denial Mm -hmm. which I had a lot of and now it's a slow it's a slow moving thing I'm in the anger phase a little bit Mm -hmm. because I'm mad I'm I'm mad that someone else was able to have that impact Mm -hmm. and plant those seeds into me and put those things and now I have to do this intentional work every week to undo what they should never have done and so I finally got really angry and crying and frustrated about it and she said okay great you have accepted it you've accepted it now you're going to be able to process it and know that your brain has a certain track which you know the anxiety falls into those things the moments of depression all of those things follow this track and so now you've identified the track and you can start to walk a different way absolutely Yeah. And so you said when you said, you know, I've I've always kind of told this story. I'll tell it in spaces where Mm -hmm. people feel feel uncomfortable. And you said I didn't identify it as a trauma. And I think that's interesting, too, because when I was like going through my classes and stuff and we were learning about trauma, a lot of times you ask these questions in these screenings or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's have you been through a trauma? Um, And for a lot of people, the answer is no. But, no, but. but then they start to talk about the things they've been through and they just had not identified that that was a traumatic experience. Yeah. And so even just the way we talk about these things, you know, when we talk about changing conversations around this to make yeah. people to have give people the space to understand what trauma is, mm-hmm. because, yeah, I mean, just like you, if that was your life. You're not identifying not very, very many people unless it was, you know, a, a sort of you know, uh, essentially accepted the traumatic event. Right. With you, this is how you've lived for a period of time. That's just your life. 30 years. You're like, not, it, that's you know? not trauma. That's just, oh no, that's, that's just, just life. That's just what it is. Which, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So when you, when you think back to that and like that you're sort of just getting this help now, what were some of those barriers or those stigmas that came with, with not getting help before? Of course. So being from an African-American household, that is just a stigma in general that I am happy to say that I think it is starting to, especially with millennials and Gen Zs, that stigma of, oh, we don't need therapy. We pray about it. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm very like faith driven, mm-hmm. but I understand being faith driven from a different perspective. I understand it from, you know, for those who do believe in God, that 
he cared enough to put people like you who are professionals, who have all the tools and resources necessary to help me in addition to whatever prayer I may say, whatever things I may do on my faith side. He's also provided people like you to be able to support me during this time. In fact, um, my therapist is not only a black woman, she was, she's a faith-based therapist, which is specifically what I asked for. Mm-hmm. And so that is something that I don't think a lot of people understand is you, there are so many therapists. That was the cool part about BetterHelp was they had a questionnaire that was as specific as could be. It was, do you want someone that is faith-driven? Would you like someone that is agnostic? Would you like someone that is an atheist? Would you like a woman? Would you like a man? Would you like non-binary? Would you like, you know, any kind of combination? They wanted to make sure because as individual as your journey is, you do want to have a therapist that can in some places identify. And then I, my husband even said he might be interested in someone who was not faith-based because it would be a different perspective mm-hmm. than what he normally has. And so it just depends on what would best serve you in this journey and knowing that as many things as you think you need, there is a therapist who matches and it might not be the first therapist. Like I said, the first therapist I worked with, she was also a black woman, beautiful, amazing, very kind. Her style of therapy was a little different than what I needed. She was a solution driven person, which I respect. And so I would share things in the current of, oh, I'm feeling, you know, frustrated or I'm overwhelmed and I just can't, uh, and I'm afraid of getting this contract because I'm I'm not going to get it. And she would have solutions for that. Well, have you considered, you know, a babysitter? Have you considered maybe taking a night or two, you know, with your husband so that way you can, and, and they were all helpful things, but they weren't hitting the root of what the issues were for me. Mm-hmm. And so as she and I talked more, we kind of both kind of got to that place where she was like, I would love to keep seeing you, but I think you would really benefit from her. Mm-hmm. And so I love that she was willing and open and wanted to help me so much that she knew that she wasn't the best fit. Yep. And what I needed was someone who could take me back. And and help me to go back in my mind because our brains are so fascinating that when things like this happen, I actually have memory issues mm-hmm. for certain things. I have key moments that are like, OK, that was really bad. It was so bad that I have no choice. But that's a core memory. Mm-hmm. But when I try to go back to certain years, I actually can't. Yeah, I can't go back. I can't remember what happened or I can't remember where I was and I can't remember. So the reason why I got referred to the new therapist was. She has these different techniques. There's all these different techniques that can be used. And I'm sure you know many of them. But this was the one where they could take a memory, go back, and start to unwind some painful things that you purposely put out. So we haven't gotten there yet because, as I've been told, it is an experience to go down that journey and to go and revisit. Mm -hmm. Um, I forget the type of therapy that it is. But for now... I'm just going back and acknowledging the things that I do remember. And she's helping me to, you know, every time I share this, this, and this, and I'll say, I don't know why this is, why I feel like this. She'll just look now. She doesn't have to even say anything. She'll look. And I'll say, oh, right. Uh. Trauma. (laughs) Which I hate. You know, there's a stigma there as well. Mm. We have to be strong. We have to be strong. We have to be strong. And I would say even more so for women. Mm. And I would say even more so for women of color. Yeah that there's this 
need to show strong. And no, I don't, I'm fine. You know, I'm good. I'll pick it up. I'll figure it out. She has banned that from my vocabulary because I didn't realize growing up the way that I did, that's what I had to do. Once we got out of the domestic violence relationship, my mom was working two jobs, sometimes three, to be able to balance things out. And sometimes she couldn't afford things. And sometimes she couldn't cook because she's working. Mm -hmm. So it was, I'll figure it out. Go ahead, mom. I'm okay. I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. Not realizing that, you know, I am a strategist today because of this, I will figure it out. I will find a way. Oh, okay. I'm going to make sure I ration this much spaghetti so that we can have enough to eat today and tomorrow. And I'm going to make sure I have this much sauce so that we can do this with it. So I'm both frustrated with my past, but I'm also thankful for it because the strategist that I am today, the person, the the problem solver that I am today is because of this journey that I went on. And it's not all bad. You know, those bad things happen, but it allowed me to become more empathetic. Mm -hmm. And I had a moment of that of, am I empathetic because of trauma? Oh, no, I don't want to be empathetic because of trauma. But then, you know, going through some pieces, I realized that, wait, if I came out of a horrible situation wanting to be a person that loves everybody, there's nothing wrong with that. No, no. You know? And that's so interesting, too, because like we talked about, this is a, this is a part of your life. So it has shaped you. And it, mm-hmm. for you, it's created it created some of these strengths. And then it's really sort of now about figuring out which of these things are survival and which of these things mm. are now strengths that I can, that I can learn and grow from and continue to build on. Right. Right. That is so true. And that is where I am right now. I'm in that process of being really thankful for the things that I do have and acknowledging these strengths that Mm -hmm. I have. Because for a while, the empathy, I used to say I was cursed with it Mm -hmm. and I hated it because I felt like, man, I'm super soft or I'm too sensitive or I'm too nurturing. I've been told that before as well. And then when I realized that, wait, this is a superpower. Not everybody has this. Even when I took my Clifton strengths, my number one strength was individualization, meaning that I could look at any person and I could have an individual connection with every person, knowing that their strengths, their weaknesses, what makes them happy. I'm a great gift giver because of it. Like yes. I, I know what yes. makes people smile. And I can also see when somebody is down and I can ask them about it, whereas other people may just keep walking by. I see them. And my therapist brought this out. She said, man, you were someone who only wanted to be seen. And in turn, because you understand what it feels like to feel like you're not being seen and that people can't see all that you have in you and appreciate all that you have in you, you make it your business and your passion to see other people. Mm -hmm. And so that is why one of my other ventures will soon be starting my own nonprofit, which is going to be around addiction recovery. You know, as an ode to my family, as an ode to there's more to people than what you see. Like, I truly believe that. And I'm not angry with, like, my biological mom. I'm not angry with my family. I'm in the process now of actually having a relationship with them. Like, I wasn't able to do that. And now I'm at an age where I'm supporting them Mm -hmm. in the good. And sometimes I've had some recent things that are not so great, you know, dealing with the loss of a sister to um i believe it was fentanyl and so having to go through that but being in it 
I was able to be there with them and even support financially in ways that they couldn't do. So it's it's like a really amazing full circle of these things happened, but, you know, my life was able to go in a direction where now financially, but also emotionally, I can support and I can change, you know, it doesn't have to, it, it was able to stop with me. So yes, it got to me, but it was able to stop with me, which I appreciate. And with the nonprofit, that's going to be a goal of mine. I'm actually going to call it Graceful Journeys. No, I love that. And it's exactly what it sounds like is mm-hmm. as people are going to be on this road to recovery, it is a journey and it's going to be a very individual journey. And it's going to start with the things that I wanted to run from. It's going to mm-hmm. start with you have a story. You're not just an addict on the street that people call whatever nickname because you're just, oh, you made horrible life choices. No, you have a story. You probably were not afforded mental health resources. You probably were not afforded to understand that you were growing up in a traumatic household. You didn't have a way out of that. So you coped, like my brother. You may have coped and gotten incarcerated because you were trying to make ends meet. You might have coped and found, you know, substances that you shouldn't have found. You might have coped in whatever way you had to cope. In my situation, yay, you know, valedictorian in school and by society standards, success. But internally, anxiety, stress, no confidence, just always feeling overwhelmed and like you'll never get there. The the ones that you don't always see on the surface. Mm -hmm. And so that is a huge part of my journey is, one, continuing to grow, like you said, to see myself the things that are amazing about me, and then the things that I need to release, like control. I found that out this year. (laughs) Oh, I have anxiety because I want to control everything. Mm, Yes, that's a big one. (laughs) I didn't know this. I thought anxiety was just, I had it. Mm, And there was nothing I can do about it except for manage it, which, you know, I still do have to manage it. But it came out that, wait, I want to control what happens when I'm driving in the car, which is why I'm freaking out sometimes in the car because I can control me. I can't control them. Yep. It's why, you know, I would get be afraid in the movie theater because, oh my gosh, I got to prepare. And so that was the piece that my therapist was like, no, you don't. And I'm like, I do. I have to prepare. I got to go ask my family members, do they still love me? I got to, because if they don't, then I just need to prepare for that. Mm-hmm. How are you going to prepare for that? Yeah. You can't yeah. prepare for that. And so, the places where I could not control and I could not prepare were the places where I was the most anxious, mm-hmm. the most stressed and freaking out. And I couldn't do anything about it. But yeah, it's, it's definitely a journey of like separating out, like you said, the survival things. We can put those down. That's okay. Yeah. It's okay. We can put those down. The things though, the being a strategist, I absolutely love and it's natural to me mm-hmm. and I love to help people figure things out and my friends all know if they have an issue they call me and they're like Ebony I can't figure this out okay let's sit down and then we figure it out and so that is my hope with people that I meet along their journeys is to do that that same thing for them you're a person and every person I meet I ask them their name and I want and I don't care if they're on the street I don't care if they're standing in front of wherever I, I will give them whatever I decide to give them and then I ask them their name and some of them have really been in tears because, wait, why do you why do you care about my name? And I'm like, because you're you. Mm-hmm. And I want to say your name the correct way. Don't abbreviate your name for me. Don't nickname yourself for me. 
don't shorten it because other people can't say it. Tell me. And like, there's one man, <laughs> he is in Nigeria and I've been practicing his name for like <laughs> six weeks, but I asked him to send me a voice message mm-hmm. saying his name. And I practice it all the time because as soon as I get it just right, I'm going to message him back and I'm going to say his name for him because that is, is that important to me to mm-hmm. see people. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. And, and especially in, in recovery, I think being able to see an individual and see the person, the human being, is just mm-hmm. so such a powerful part of the experience because too much of that stigma around it is yes. it is um, dangerous, and that's really what that 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 leads to. Like that doesn't lead us to recovery. That doesn't lead us to being able to help people and and be there for people who like. I always say, I mean, it all the things that I've been through, all these, you know, the ways I chose to cope could have certainly led me down a very different path just as easily. And I got lucky. That's all I can say, you know? Right. I feel the same. That's all I can say. And that's why I don't drink because I I don't ever want to consider myself to be so much different or so much better than Mm -hmm. something that has proven to be generational it is to the point where it is a generational thing that happened to my siblings and my parents and their parents and their parents I mean there is cirrhosis of the liver throughout the family there is heart disease throughout the family there is you know just straight up dying from alcoholism or some other substance through overdose that is there and I think that is something where there's a stigma there we need to ask these questions in our families Mm. and we need to be able to acknowledge this isn't good, yeah. you know, because growing up and even seeing some of my um, family members now that have kids, it's repeating itself. Exactly. And I'm watching it and I'm watching, you know, some of the youth act up, quote unquote. But then I also have this compassion for them because yeah. it's the environment. Exactly. You're going to do what you are surrounded by. Yeah. And that is why it's so important to me to catch them at that age to catch them as they are in the traumatic event i don't want to you know if you come after the traumatic event sure but man if we could catch people in their trauma as they are at the beginning of it and get them out of it or at least give them the tools to manage it because again a 15 year old child does not have control necessarily they don't work they're not old enough to work they're not old enough to drive they're not old enough to do these things they are fully reliant on either who they're with or what they're around exactly. and if they're with you if you say it's okay to drink then it, they're gonna drink and so that was a common piece for my family it was accepted at a very young age mm-hmm. the drinking okay that's just what we do in fact oh that baby's crying you know give them some alcohol and their stuff you know they'll stop crying yeah. and well can I have a sip oh yeah sure whatever it starts at a very young age And if we don't catch it at that point, it becomes something that then you can't control. So personally, I made that decision of I don't want to try. And I've had people of all from everywhere, all walks of life. Well, you should prove that you can beat it. You should. I actually had that as advice. You should, you know, show that you can do it healthily. I'm sure at some point other people felt that way, too. And it didn't go that way. Right. Absolutely. And I am not willing to risk. I'm not willing to risk it. I'm I'm not. And so that's why people will see, like, I am all about a mocktail. My friends know I am that person. I am, ooh, is that a strawberry mojito? Yes. Is that a pina colada? Yes. Like, I love yeah. the experience of Absolutely. having some fun and customizing some drinks yeah. and doing all of that. But I am 
I understand and I want to honor my family by continuing to do what I believe is the right decision for me so that I can continue to be able to support them as well. And it's it's funny because they have seen me and by seeing me, they have said, y'all know when we're around you, we won't. Mm. And we actually stopped this and that because, you know, we were thankful you were okay. You know, we're happy. I used to worry that they would be angry with me because, you know, I'm the one that got out. And there was some of that at when I was younger. It was some of that frustration. And I understood it. Because yeah. how are you the one? But now, after having that conversations with them, they realize, wait, you had, you had impact too. Yeah. Unfortunately, wow. you guys were in the environment and you got impacted. But by going the route that you did, you didn't you know, you weren't able to just get away from the consequences of these actions that were happening around us. We all got hurt. Yeah. And so now this is an opportunity for us to come together and say, what are we going to do about it now? That happened in the past. And we do have to accept and acknowledge that. And we know where we are right now. But what they see through me and what I want to continue to show them is where can we go? We can do something different. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're incarcerated right now. And I talk to my brother all the time. This is where you are right now. This is where you don't you don't have to stay here when you get out. You don't have to come back to this place. You can do something different. You're not just chained to whatever your generational trauma is. You can definitely break that chain and you can do something different, but it does take work. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's a that's a lot. It's a lot, but it sounds like because you've done this work, you're in a really good place to be able to sort of be this person for your family. I just hope that you also have these support systems in place. I know you Mm -hmm. have your therapist. What is what is what is other support systems or um, self-care look like for you? Great question. So I'm still learning about the self-care thing. Um, I realize that (laughs) watching my mom work the way that the way that she did. She did not have time for self-care and even now struggles to self-care. She's like 71 and she has like, mom, you don't have to do that. But she struggles to self-care because she didn't know how. And then as working through my, with my therapist, I realized, oh, I don't know how to self-care either. I actually don't know how, like the way that people automatically prioritize themselves and they're like, okay, I'm going to get my nails done, you know, once a week or twice a month, I'm going to go. And they don't think twice about it. I don't experience that. And so I am still working toward saying, hey, you can money, take some money and put it for you. Because it is so quick for me to say, oh, well, the kids need it. And well, let me make sure this is happening. And did we get groceries? I spent so much money on groceries. But one of the things that my therapist called out is, yes, taking yourself out to eat, because that I will do. I will take myself out to eat for whatever reason. That is the one I have rationalized in my mind of this one is okay. I can go treat myself. But my therapist had to share. She's like, food is a necessity. Right. Because I would always say, I'm going to go treat myself to some Chick-fil-A. She's like, no, you just can give yourself Chick-fil-A. It doesn't have to be a treat. Food is not a reward. Mm -hmm. And so that is helping kind of with my health journey as well. Right. Because when you keep dinging the part of your brain that says reward and connecting it to food, then, yeah, now you're overeating or you're constantly eating things that ooh, reward, reward, reward. like it works the same way. So I'm working to say, yes, I do still like to go out to eat. I love the experience. So I'm not going to say that I don't. But I just go now. 
Yeah. Like, I'm just going to go. I'm not going to treat myself. I'm going to go because I deserve that. Yeah. Um, my bubble baths are one. Mm-hmm. I love a luxury bubble bath. And so I've been kind of doing more of that, getting more of like, I have like a caddy, which is cool. I put my phone on there and I have a speaker on there and I get Epsom salt of all different varieties to put nice. in there and all, all kind of stuff. I try to make it as luxury as I can. Mm-hmm. I'm waiting on our new home because it's an even nicer tub. So I'm excited about that. But really, it's more or less just the timing. That's the part that I'm trying to honor. I haven't gotten there yet. I have a a block on my calendar every Friday for self-care lunch. I have a block every other Friday for self-care massage. How many massages have I gone to? None. But that's okay. (laughs) I'm working on doing that. But I realize it's another thing that my brain has a certain track. And I even struggled to say, well, here's the money for it. The money is right here. Mm. Just spend it. I'm like, well, uh, I don't have time, you know, or I'm going to, somebody's going to need me or I'm going to need that money for something else. And so I'm still working on that. And I, now as far as my support system, you know, that's the beautiful part about it is like my mother-in-law, she's amazing. She's all about self-care. Okay. So she'll say, come on, we're going. And I'm like, okay, we're going. We're going on a random trip to Florida. Okay. So she is really amazing at helping me to just focus on what are we going to do? What are the girls going to go do? They'll be okay. The kids will be okay. Sometimes we bring them, sometimes we don't. Uh And so traveling is really important to me, and I haven't gotten to do it as much, but I've definitely been doing it more and more and more. And so um, I have Hawaii. Oh, booked out in December and I was really thankful to be able to bring everybody. So, yeah, so that's the cool part. The kids are going. And so you see those generational things start to change Mm -hmm. because my first trip was with my mother-in-law, you know, my husband's family. Mm -hmm. They planned my first trip um, after graduation from LSU. And I was like, oh, my God, Tennessee. I've never been to Tennessee. (laughs) And now we get to plan that trip for my kids who have seen Mexico and have seen you know all these different places at their age and so I love being able to just see that transition for them so they'll be going to Hawaii on the plane and on a seven-day cruise and seeing all the islands and the beaches and so I'm looking forward to doing more traveling as the years you know go along but those are my my big ones right now when I can go on a trip the bubble bath is the one where I'm like life is just chaos leave me alone I'm going to get in the tub and then going out to eat is a big one. But the people around you, yeah. that's the piece. That really is the piece. Because having mental health struggles sometimes, your brain is telling you one thing. Mm-hmm. And like I said, sometimes it's not even you. Nope. You don't realize it. It's not even you. And it goes from you're having a great day at work, and then the boss says something or a coworker says something. And that doubt creeps in of, am I good at my job? Am I bad at this? Or an cl- uh, angry client, you know, I'm self-employed. Wait, should I quit? Should I go get a nine to five again? Am I messing up? And it takes the outside perspective of a therapist, the outside perspective of friends. And I tend to triangulate all that together because mm-hmm. my friends will tell me, sure, maybe you could have sent this. No, that's not a reasonable response. Yeah, That's not a reasonable response that they should have had with you. Or, hey, you need to create some better boundaries. Yep around these projects you need to you need to think about how you can make sure that you are benefiting and they are benefiting but right now it feels like it's unbalanced Mm -hmm. and then my husband he's amazing he's always he's like the the green sponge to my yellow sponge and so he's like hey you need to say something (laughs) point blank no it's not cool 
you are entitled to feel that way, but it's going to continue to happen until you speak up and you say something. And so he'll challenge me in a way that validates my feelings. So I feel like, okay, I'm not crazy because that's half the battle is, am I crazy? I feel like I'm, am I making this up? And, you know, when you are connected to people who gaslight you or they make you feel those things, you have to have those outside people who know you because they become your source of truth in those moments when you just don't know your own self. So it is very critical. And that has been game changing for me. Yeah, that's amazing. And so great. You have those, those people in your life. And so as we wrap up here, I could talk about this all day, but as we wrap up here, what would be one thing that you would want people to take away from this, this interview today? Sure. I would say, think about your current behaviors and for the things that are stressing you, the things that are making you just feel like you know, either it's the imposter syndrome or constant anxiety or even depression and unfortunately suicidal thoughts, any of those things that you're thinking about, don't ignore them and brush them off. They're coming from somewhere. And that is the biggest piece that I had to accept and realize is you're not a bad person for having these thoughts. You're not, there's nothing just quote unquote wrong with you and you need to fix you. You can't fix any of these things without really knowing what has happened that led me here. And you're not fixing you. You know, there's nothing wrong with you. You have a conditioned thought process that has been happening for however long you've been alive. And even if it's been happening only over the the last five years, it's proven scientifically that we create these grooves in our brains and they become our routines. And the only way that you're going to get out of that routine is to acknowledge that it exists, where it came from, and then start treading a new path. And even that journey is one that, it's every day. It's every day. But there's nothing wrong with you. That is probably my favorite part of turning 30 is acknowledging that I kept wanting to fix me. Mm-hmm. I kept saying, if only there's an ADHD diagnosis somewhere in there as well, which when I walked into that world, <laughs> oh, there's nothing wrong with me. Yes. I, my brain yes. works this way, mm-hmm. which means that I can now tell people, hey, don't give me micro tasks. If you give me a micro task, you do understand here's what's going to happen to it. Mm. So there's nothing wrong with me. I'm telling you who I am and I'm going to do my very best. And I do. I'll do my very best to get it done. But if you give me a whole bunch of them, do know I've already told you what it is. And so, you know, that'd be my biggest thing. There's nothing wrong with you. You just need to figure out and accept love and acknowledge who you are and then dismiss the things that tell you otherwise. Yes. Yeah, I love that so much. And and thank you. Thank you for sharing your story. Um, knowing that there's nothing wrong with you and knowing that there, you know, that all of that, all this, this stuff that figuring that out, you don't have to do that alone, you know, and you, right. you know, and knowing that you, you are able to reach out for help and get that help is so important. And so thank you for sharing that. I think it's definitely going to resonate with a lot of the people listening. And I'm really glad you're here. Me too. Me too. I'm so excited for everybody's growth. I don't know their names yet. but. <laughs> Um, we do have to give a quick shout out um, to Raya Media Group. If you're looking for a company that can deliver an amazing product and also um, an amazing experience, the Raya Media Group is who you need to call there who produces this podcast. And so we're really excited to have them be a part of this. Um, they specialize in weddings, podcasts, commercials, YouTube, and business promotions. It's great to work with a company that strives to create great client experience. You're not just a number to them. 
they really work to build lasting relationships with people they work with. And I am a testament to that because I have known them for a, a little while now, and I'm just really grateful to have them in my life and be, and be able to do this project together. Um, you can check out their website at www.ramediagroup.com or give Ken a call at 225-772-7504. Thank you all for tuning in.